As you find your seat, if you would, go ahead and grab a Bible and open it with me to that passage that Brian just read from. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 14 through 18. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you'll find 2 Corinthians. It's one of the, the letters in the New Testament. And when you get there, the chapters are the larger numbers. The verses are the smaller numbers. So we're in chapter 5. That's the big number verse starting in verse 14. If you don't have a Bible today, feel free to grab one of the Bibles in the pew in front of you. Um, if you don't own a Bible, take that home with you. I know we're at church, but I promise that is not stealing. You can take it home. It is our gift to you this Easter morning. So feel free to take that. This morning, I want us to consider together what it means when Paul says that we have been made a new creation. That because Jesus died and because Jesus is risen, that we can be remade, that we can be made new. What does that mean? Now, as we talk about this, I've got a little prop here. I want to know, does anybody in this room know what this is? Anybody? It became popular in the 1990s, and uh, somehow they still sell it today, but this is called the Ab Rocker. Now, I'm not going to do any of this ab rocking this morning, but I want you to see this because the first time I laid eyes on one of these things was a time where I was preparing to get married to my wife, Rachel. Uh, we were going on a honeymoon to the beach. I was extremely out of the shape and lo and behold, an infomercial comes on the television. On this infomercial, there's a man, and I'm just telling you, he is the most sculpted man that I've ever seen in my life. People have six packs, this guy had like a 20 pack, and he comes on and he says this, if you want to look like me, all it takes is 30 minutes a day laying on your back, rocking back and forth, back and forth, just a few days a week, and you can be ready for the beach. Now, I would imagine all of us have seen these advertisements, infomercials promising lofty transformation, right? Changes. We, we see these things, but there's a problem with all of these. And what is that problem? At the bottom of the screen, every single time in hardly legible print, it says what? Results not typical. <laughs> now, we know that, right? We know that this guy did not get ripped up by sitting here on this adult teeter-totter going back and forth. We know that. And yet we go out and buy the product. Why? We want to believe. We, we are obsessed in our culture with what is called easy transformation. We think we can just come in and if we just do some slight modifications, we can quickly be changed. That's why advertisers, they will try to sell you everything. They will try to set, come to you and say, become a better modified you by driving the Lincoln like Matthew McConaughey or by buying Axe body spray, or by doing this or doing that. If you just do this, you can quickly become a better you. Now, imagine with me, we are naturally, I think we can all see this in our lives, we are naturally drawn to this idea of transformation, right? And I would submit to you this morning that that actually points to a spiritual reality at work in every single one of us. You see, this morning, I would submit to you that there is an ingrained need in you for transformation, for change, but it goes much deeper than having six-pack abs or a quick change to your, to your outward behavior. The Bible tells us that we need a change of heart, that we actually need a spiritual transformation, a change from the inside out. You see, whether you realize it or not, Easter is all about this change. 
The Bible doesn't come with an asterisk. It doesn't give us lies about a quick transformation or anything like that. Instead, it tells us exactly what kind of change we need and what it costs in order to be changed. This Easter is all about change. It's about the dead giving way to life, the old becoming new. The scriptures are full of examples of lives that have been changed totally from the inside out because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, One of the greatest examples of that is the person who wrote 2 Corinthians, this book that we're reading right now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's a guy named Paul. Before meeting Christ, Paul was a guy that I would best describe as a religious radical. What I mean by that is he had checked off all the religious boxes. He had gone to the right training. He had performed all the right rituals. He tried his best to obey the law. And the crowning achievement for Paul was his zealous hatred of this man named Jesus, who he actually saw as a deceiver. He saw Jesus as a heretic. And he thought Christians were fools for believing that this Jesus, who he had seen crucified, could actually be risen from the dead. And yet Paul, on the road to Damascus, had his life eternally changed. Because on the road to Damascus, what happened? If you read the book of Acts, you find that this man named Paul who hated Christians, who went around killing Christians, who put Christians in jail, he encountered the risen Jesus. He saw face to face that what these Christians had proclaimed and he thought was foolish was actually true. He couldn't explain it, but there he was. Jesus, who had been crucified, was actually alive. This forever changed Paul's life. His doubts quickly gave way to belief. His hatred turned into love and he was forever changed from a self-righteous persecutor to a selfless servant of Christ. It is this change that Paul is talking about in our text today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he, he displays what kind of change it is that he needed and what each one of us need. And so if you would, let's read it there together. In verse 14, it says these words. This is the word of God. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all. Why? That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for who their sake died and was raised. See, the question that Paul is answering this morning is very simple. He's asking this question. What brings about spiritual transformation? What what brings about a change, not just to our behavior or our actions, but a change to the heart? What does it take to bring that kind of thing about in your life? As Americans, our motto is very strong and it's very clear. It's going to be on the screen. If you want a job done well, what? Do it yourself, right? That's the American way. We take great pride in our ability to better our lives through our own individual efforts. And whether you realize it or not this morning, oftentimes our spiritual life flies under the same motto, right? In fact, if you look at every other religion other than Christianity, they will tell you this, that in some way, if you want spiritual transformation, if you want salvation, if you want a relationship with God, if you want to grow in your Christian maturity, in your spiritual maturity, what does it take? It takes more effort by you. You have to pray the right kinds of prayers at the right times of the day. You have to meditate in a certain way. You have to go to the right kind of services. You have to do the right things. You have to be a good enough person. You have to do all these things. If you want to be spiritually changed, it's all on 
you. You have to do it. It's your effort. It's the same motto, then do it yourself. But what Paul is saying in this passage is the exact opposite. He says, I was not changed by anything that I did. I was changed by the love of Jesus Christ. I was changed by it. His love of Christ controls me. Why? Because I came to this conclusion that Jesus both died and was raised to life so that I could have spiritual life. It wasn't by my own efforts. This is big news for Paul. You see, the answer to his question is simply this. Only God can bring about the spiritual transformation you need in your life. You want to know how can I grow? How can I become more spiritual? Only God can do that in your life. This was big news to Paul who had spent his entire life trying to become more acceptable to God. Trying to become more of a religious person, more of a good person. All of a sudden, he, when he encountered Jesus, realized it's not about what I have done. It's about what he has done. Now, I realize this morning that it's probably hard for some of us to fathom. But the Bible constantly points to this one truth. And I hope if you are new to Christianity, you wonder, what is the Bible all about? It shows us this truth. You cannot save yourself. That's what the message of the Bible is. You cannot save yourself. You cannot change your heart. You cannot become a more spiritual person based on your own efforts. It does not come in that way. Now, some of you are here and you may say, Ryan, I don't really need spiritual transformation. My life is good as it is. Well, number one, I'm glad that your life is going well. I really am. But I hope that you will at least consider what the Bible reveals to be true. Not just about me, not just about one or two of us, but about all of us. We talked about this on Good Friday. But for those of you who are not here, the one problem that is the common denominator of every single person who has ever lived is the presence of what the Bible calls sin. I'm saying each one of us, from the very best, the Billy Grahams, the Mother Teresas, all the way to the most hardened criminal, the playing field is even because the Bible says we have all sinned. Now, sin is a very churchy word. I realize that. But here's exactly what it means. It means this, that in many times and in many ways, we have not done what God has called us to do. In the same way, we have done what he's told us not to do. And underneath all this is a heart that says, you know what, God, I don't need you. That is the heart of sin. That's the cry of sin. God, I can do my life on my own. Now, you may not look at your life and think I'm hostile to God, but think about this. Think about your life in light of who God is. Maybe some of you don't know who God is. You've not really read the scripture. Well, one thing we know about God from the scriptures is that God is our creator, which means this. He lovingly created you. He designed you. All that you have and all that you are is from him. But you want to know what goes right alongside that? It means this, if God is our creator, he is the only one who is worthy to be the authority in our lives. He's the only one that is worthy, that is wise enough to call the shots in our lives. But we treat, do we treat God in that way? No. Each one of us, who's the authority of our lives? It's us. Where our will goes up against God's will, we choose our will. Where our ways go up against what God has told us in his word, what do we do? We go with our ways. In many ways, we say, God, I'm okay with you being a sidekick, but I'm in the center of life, not you. I know better how to live my life than you. That is the heart of sin. 
And what that does is it leads to motives that come out in that way. It becomes actions in that way, words that come in that way. You think, well, Ryan, why is this such a big deal? Why is it the fact that I have a heart of rebellion toward God? Why does this matter? Well, again, the Bible reveals that the consequences of that are significant. They're eternal. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death. We're going to go to the end part in just a moment. But think about that. The wages of sin, what that means is what you have earned because of your sin. Some of you have sinned a lot. Some of you have sinned a little. He says it does not matter. What you have earned because of your sin is death. Physical death, yes. From the time of Adam and Eve sinning in the Garden of Eden until now, physical death has been a reality. But even more than that, what he's talking about is spiritual death. The lack of a spiritual heartbeat, separation from God. You say, well, Ryan, my little white lie, that's, that equals that I'm separated from God? How could that be? That seems a little too harsh that I, my sin, maybe my unkind behaviors, some of my unkind words, that that would keep me from a relationship with God. That would make me spiritually dead. Well, you have to, again, look at who God is. Not only is he loving, not only is he all-powerful, not only is he all-knowing, not only is he merciful, not only is he kind, but the Bible calls God holy. Now, I realize that's not a word we often use in our culture today, holy, but this holiness, here's what it means. It means that unlike anything else in all of creation, God is perfectly pure. Just as darkness and light cannot coexist, you have one or the other, so God and sin, evil, darkness cannot exist together. So the problem is we who are sinners, if we have sin, if sin is at the essence of our heart, if our heart is infected with sin, what does that mean? It means that we cannot come into his presence. We cannot know him. We cannot have a relationship with God. He is holy. And the Bible tells us that if he had not done anything for us, that would be our status for eternity. It's a just status that we would be punished for our sin, for our rebellion toward our creator. Friend, I don't know what you came in here with. I don't know what kind of relationship you feel like you have with God. But here's the question. Have you ever acknowledged your sin? Have you ever seen that sin is at the root of who I am, that I believe that I can call my own shots, that I don't need God? That's what our actions and our words do. But here's the good news. The good news of Easter is that while we could not scrub off of our sin, and all of us probably have tried in some way, right? We try to scrub off of our sin with good works or by doing good things or going to church. Paul says none of those things get us any closer to God. But the good news of Easter is this, that God has done for us what we could not accomplish on our own. If you're here and you're wondering, what is the main message of Christianity? It is that God has accomplished in the death and resurrection of Jesus what we could not accomplish on our own. We could not save ourselves from sin. We could not cleanse our hearts. We could not create spiritual transformation. Our efforts never could cut it. But God has done something that makes a way for us to be made new. Let me read a couple passages to finish Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. That's what we earn by sin. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. John 3.16, one of the most uh, memorable verses that you've probably heard, says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 
Paul says, this is the love that changed my life. I came to realize that God's salvation, my heart change, spiritual transformation is a gift from God that I cannot earn it on my own, that I have to rely on what he has done. Now, how did God make that available? We've said it because of Jesus' death and his resurrection. You see, Jesus, the reason that he went to the cross, the reason that he willingly laid down his life for you was that somebody had to take the punishment for sin. Sin was not going to be left unpunished. He's a holy God. He's a just God. And so what did he do? He sent his only son. And on the cross, Jesus took upon himself all of our sin. He took upon himself the punishment for sin that each one of us deserved. He did that so that we could have life. He did that so that we would not have to endure separation from God. He took that for us. But then what happened? He was raised from the dead, which was a resounding note that declared once and for all that the reign of sin and death was no longer. There was a new king in town. His name was Jesus Christ. His death and his resurrection was the symbol that we who were sinners could be forgiven of our sin if we trust in Christ, that we could be raised with Christ, that we could have new life in Jesus Christ. That is the incredible news of Easter, the spiritual transformation that we need most is 100% a gift of God. And yet, like any gift, what happens? We have to receive it, right? And that's why Paul goes on. If you look down at verse 17, what does he say? He said, if anyone, so there's a condition here, right? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What does it mean to be in Christ? It's an interesting way of phrasing it, right? Well, it's the same thing that John had said in John three sixteen when he talked about believing in Jesus. Really what these words are talking about is this, that if we are in Christ, it means that we have died to the old way of life. In essence, we've looked at our sin. We have, not, have acknowledged our sin before God. We've said, God, I have sinned, but not only have I confessed it, but God, I'm turning from that sin. To repent is to do a 180, to say, I'm no longer going to live for myself. I'm no longer going to live as my own king. Jesus, you are now my king. And I'm trusting all of my life. I'm surrendering every piece of my life into your hands. I am going to be in Christ. Trusting that Jesus' work on the cross is enough to save us of our sin. That's what it means to be in Christ. I heard an illustration recently that helped make this make sense even for me. Um, I don't think anybody in this room that I know of, I don't think any of you can fly, can you? I think if we were to go out and you were to say, I can fly, and you were to go to the top of the dome, and and we were all to go out in the parking lot this afternoon, and you were to say, I'm going to do it, I'm going to jump, and I'm going to fly, what would happen? You would fall, right? You would not fly. You would come join us on the pavement, except it's going to hurt a lot more for you than it would for us in that moment. On your own, you cannot fly. But... If we take your non-flying, aviationally challenged self, and we put you in a 747, what happens? All of a sudden, you can go, you know, 600 miles an hour, 40,000 feet above. You can fly all day long, right? Where you are limited outside of the plane, in the plane, you are not limited. Well, Paul's point here is that where you are limited outside of Christ in your sin, where you're limited in your weakness, in your despair, and your hopelessness, and your separation from God, where you are limited in those things, in Christ, 
You are none of those things. You are forever, fully, freely forgiven. You are taken from spiritual death and you become spiritually alive. You are none of those things that you were outside of Christ because you are in Christ. You have trusted in the work of Jesus. You become a new creation. Well, that leads us then to a second question. If, if our spiritual transformation cannot be a work of our own, it is something that God must do, then we have to ask the question, what does this look like? Has this actually occurred in my life? And that's what he goes on to say in verse 17. He says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what happens? He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul says, if you're in Christ, you're a completely new creation, which means this, that Jesus does not just slightly modify your life. He doesn't just make small changes. I think some of us come to Jesus like a self-help book saying, Jesus, just help me in this one little area, right? Well, what Paul is saying in this passage is that Jesus did not come to make unethical people a little more ethical. He didn't come for that. He didn't come to make sinners a little less sinful. He didn't come to make mean people a little more kind, stingy people a little bit more generous. What we find in this passage is that Jesus came for one reason, and that is to make you completely new. Which means this. When you put your life into Christ's hands, when you trust in him, you are not asking for a slight renovation. You're not asking for a cosmetic upgrade, okay? When you place your life into the hands of Christ, what are you saying? You're saying, Jesus, tear the whole thing down and make me new. Give me a new heart. Give me new desires. Give me new joy. Give me new peace. God, I want what you have for me. I don't want to just live with the old. It's interesting. There was a man in the New Testament that came to Jesus looking for just a slight modification. His name was Nicodemus. Uh, If you've never heard of Nicodemus, Nicodemus, if there was anybody that was worthy of spiritual life, of salvation, apart from Christ, it was probably Nicodemus. This was an upstanding guy. He was religious in every way. He tried to follow Christ. He tried to follow the, the commandments. He tried to do all the right things. And yet when he comes to Jesus saying, Jesus, what else should I do? Again, he's talking about his own efforts. What does Jesus say? I want you to hear these words. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again. You think, what does that mean? He's saying the same thing that Paul was saying later. He's saying this, you cannot make slight modifications. Jesus, if you really know him, makes you completely new. He changes everything about your life and it starts in your heart. If you're a new creation, here's what it means. It means that you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the sun, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Jesus. It means that you've been taken from a sinner who deserves separation from God, and he's made you into a a beloved son or daughter of God. It means that he's taken you from spiritual death, and he's moved you to spiritual life. And this is all a work of Christ in us. You see, the Holy Spirit we find in the scriptures, it says that when you become a new creation, the Holy Spirit comes in and he begins to change everything. We read about this in the Old Testament when God promised this day would come. He says this, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. 
I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. I love that picture. Here's what he's saying. He's saying when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, when you are made into a new creation, he says he takes your heart of stone, which if it's a heart of stone, what is that a picture of? It is hardened toward God. It is not listening to God. It is a heart that is against God. He says it will take your heart of stone and he will turn it into a heart of flesh, a heart that is moldable by God, a heart that is compassionate, a heart that is forever changed. He's talking about the innermost person, who you really are. He says, I turn a person from hardened to soft. Here's what that means. It means that if you know Christ, you have new desires. It means that you desire to know God and to obey him. You desire to battle sin in your life. Where there is sin, where God has told us things that we know are not what his best are, we look at those things and we say, God, I trust you. It doesn't mean that you don't ever sin. Let me say that. None of us in this room are perfect. We're still going to struggle. But here's the difference. If the Holy Spirit is within you, he's going to lead you over and over back to God. He's going to lead you back to God's will through conviction of that sin. If you know Christ, it means that you're going to have a new identity. Your worth and your security are no longer going to be found in what you do for your job or for who you are, your reputation. It means that your worth and identity are not going to be found in your relationships with others or, or what other people think about you. Your relationship with God becomes your identity. The fact that you have been loved by him, the fact that you have been saved by him, that becomes everything in your life. If you're a new creation, it means that you have new joy. It means that you have new peace. And both of these things don't fluctuate up and down like the stock market, right? So many of us, our joy and peace is totally dependent on how good are our circumstances. If they're good, well, then I'm good. I have joy and peace. If they're bad, I totally lose my joy and peace. In Christ, he says, there's new joy. There's new peace that is fully in him. Verse 14 says that we have new purpose. What does the purpose of Paul, he says that those who live, he's talking about are spiritually alive, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. In essence, here's what he's saying. You're no longer out there just living for yourself. He said, if you're in new Christ, if you're new in Christ, if you're a new creation, your purpose is now found in me and my kingdom. And seeing other people come to know me and seeing justice and seeing the oppressed helped and seeing those who are marginalized shown compassion. Your agenda becomes my agenda. That's what he's saying. You receive new purpose in your life. But then he finally tells him, you also get a new perspective. You see people differently. No longer are people Republican or Democrat. Democrat. No longer are they conservative or liberal. No longer are they black or white or brown or anything else. He says, all of a sudden, you don't see them in that light. Instead, you see them with the eyes of love. That's what he's talking about in verse 16. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. He says, I used to see people and think this. How do I compare with them? Or I used to look at people and I thought, how can I use them for my benefit? What do they have to offer me? But now, he says, I can no longer see them in the same way. I now see everybody through the lens of Christ. Do they know Jesus? Have they been made into a new creation? How can I serve them? How can I love them? That's what Paul is telling us in this text. He says, 
when you are in Christ, you are made new in every way. And this is a work that only God can do. Fred, my question for you this morning is, has that work played out in your life? I know some of you this morning, this may be your first time here. You may came in here wondering, what does this church want from me? Well, I hope what you've seen this morning in our singing and as we've studied God's word is that we don't want anything from you this morning. This morning, we want something for you. We want for you to experience Christ in such a way that you are made new. We want you to know Christ in such a way that your sins are forgiven, that you have a relationship with God, and that you are forever changed. Just like Paul's story that we see here. You see, that's Paul's heart in this passage. It's why he sacrificed his entire life to share this news of Jesus' death and resurrection to all the known world at that time. He knows that none of us in this room has forever to respond to Jesus. You see, if you read back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you'll find that he had just finished a part where he had been talking about the fragile nature of human life. Paul knows that for each one of us, there's going to be a day where our breath stops, where our heart stops beating for the very last time. There's a day where we will move from this life into eternity. And on that day, he says, we will each stand before God, our father, to whom we will give account for the life that we have lived. Now, friend, if you are in your sin, you've never been forgiven of that sin. That is a terrifying day to think about. But here's the thing. If you are in Christ, you do not have to fear that day. You actually look forward to that day. Why? Because you've been forgiven. You've been made new. And now you get to enjoy for eternity what you already had in this life. And that is a relationship with the God who is not dead, but is alive. This morning, this is the good news of Easter. You see, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to make all things new. We read at the very end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, these words. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Jesus is making all things new. The question this morning is simply this. Has he made you new? Have you received the incredible gift of salvation? Have you trusted in Christ? Have you placed all of your hope, all of your dreams, all of your life into Christ's hands? Or are you standing outside of his hands saying, I can live this life on my own? I can modify myself. I can keep doing good enough things. Friend, Paul says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you can know for certain that you can have a relationship with God, not just for eternity. Some people all talk about heaven. No, that life starts now. We become new creations now. And we get to enjoy the fullness of that then for eternity. Has he made you new? I encourage you this morning, do not put this off. We are very arrogant to think we have as many days as we want in this life. Jesus has accomplished everything in his death and resurrection. Will you receive that incredible gift today? If you're here and you're in this room and you have never trusted in Christ, you've never placed your life into his hands, you've never turned from your sin and and trusted in Jesus, let me just encourage you, make today that day.
Make today the day that you don't put that off any longer, that you want to know Christ and you want to know him for eternity. Come talk to one of us after the service. You say, Ryan, I can't stick around. I can't talk today, but I'm interested. I want to know more about this. Just put that on one of those connection cards that are in the pew. You can put it in our offering plate later. We'll give you a call. We'll set up a time for coffee just to talk about these things. It is our heart's cry. It is our prayer that each one of you in this room would know Christ, that you would be a new creation. You see, today the news is this. Jesus died for all of our sins, but Jesus does not remain in the grave. He is risen and he is at work making all things, including us, new. It may be April 1st, but I can promise you this morning that is not fake news. It is not uh, April Fool's news. This is the greatest news that has ever been given. Friend, will you simply receive that news today?